Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? We're here, and that's good. Um, don't ever take this for granted, guys. Don't ever take this for granted. This is a big deal. Um, community is important, it's valuable, and it changes our lives, and we're different because of it. Uh, today, we are in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So you got your Bibles? 2 Samuel chapter 6. Last week, we started uh, this chapter, and we looked at the life of uh, the brief, uh, and shocking, sorry, uh, life of Uzzah, uh, who did not follow God's directions, and put his hand and in a place that he should not have put it, and touched the Ark of the Covenant, and God killed him on the spot for it. Uh, and it was a strange action, and it was one that was misunderstood, and it was one that was very confusing, because the Israelites had lost the Ark of the Covenant, this symbolic uh, representation of God's presence, to the Philistines, and the Philistines, things did not go well for them when they had it. They sent it away. Uh, there was someone that kept it in their home for years and years and years. David spent a tremendous amount of money and revved up 30,000 people to go get this object, and they did not do it the way that God said, and somebody died as a result. Um, so a review of last week, you got your hand out, you ready for your first blank, is the directions were not followed, and Uzzah died. Very straightforward, right? Pretty simple. So this week, uh, we look at uh, Michal, and it's not Michael, it's not Michelle, it's not... Uh, some other pronunciation. It's Michal. That's her name, M-I-C-H-A-L. This was uh, one of David's wives. And if you're wondering, yes, I did use the plural. He had more than one. Uh, Solomon learned his problems at home uh, from his daddy. Uh, Bathsheba was David's at least tenth wife, probably more. So you may or may not have known that about this icon of the Old Testament, but he had a horrible, horrible family life, and God was still able to use him in an incredible way. So, I don't know what your background is, I don't know what you've gone through, I don't know how many experiences you've had in this space, but God can use and work through any and all of that. So, let's look at Michael, uh, Michal's life, I'm going to say it Michael a hundred times, because it looks like Michael, right? It really does, but it's Michal. Uh, so let's look at her life real quick. So you remember the story of David and Goliath. Everybody knows this story. Uh, one of the things that you, you may not remember is that Saul, when Goliath was taunting the, the Israelites, Saul put out a reward for anybody that could go and fight and kill Goliath. And he said, you're going to be famous and you're going to be rich and I'm going to give you my daughter's hand in marriage. The, the fairy tale stories that we listened to as a kid actually have some basis in the Old Testament because Saul dreamed that scenario up. He was the first one that we know of that half my kingdom and riches and my daughter and all this stuff. Well, Michal was the daughter that Saul gave David uh, for killing Goliath. So that's your next blank. So she, she was the prize. Um, and the Bible actually says that Michal loved David, that, it was a, um, that she was passionate about him. Even before they were married, which was unusual in that time, that there was a, um, an emotional connection because people were kept apart. And then it was many times the first time that you got to really hang out with the person was your wedding night. So imagine that, <laughs> right? Praise God that some things have changed, right? 
Um, so that's 1 Samuel 18. In 1 Samuel 19, uh, you remember that Saul has a um, bipolar slash psychotic type mentality, and his emotions would range from David's the greatest thing ever, give him a harp, let him play in front of my court, to I've now got a spear in my hand and I'm trying to kill him. And it would just be up and down and up and down. And this was his father-in-law, right? And his king. So, yeah, that becomes really awkward really quick. Um, so in, yeah, hashtag awkward, right? So in 1 Samuel 19, Saul's trying to kill David. David's hanging out at his house. And Michal actually lowers David down in a basket outside, or down on a rope outside the window, and David escapes. So, again, we see in the New Testament concept where Paul was lowered down Actually, Saul was lowered down in a basket. This concept gets repeated over and over and over again. In 1 Samuel 25, uh, Saul, being angry at David, gives Michal in marriage to somebody else. Does it sound like she's had a great life so far? Not really. She's a trophy. She's handed around. She, her husband has fled. Uh, her dad gives her away to somebody else. During the time where her husband has fled and when she sees David again, David's married at least nine other people. Okay? So put yourself in her shoes before we read this story today. Because we read Michal's story and we instantly go, wow, what a jerk. Because she griped about something that seems to us to be, okay, it doesn't seem like that's that big of a deal, but she's got all this boiling up and it's under the surface and we have no indication anywhere in scripture that she'd ever spoken out about any of this before so in summary of the background can I have a summary of the background I can have a summary of the background Okay, uh, Michael uh, I did it again dang it I should have to put a dollar in the jar every time I do that or something uh, Michal was wronged by her father and by her husband and to some degree, she was probably a, a relatively good wife. The, the wife that Saul, uh, the husband that Saul gave her to after David, when David came back for her, uh, followed her behind the progression and was crying for her, wanting her to come back home. Okay, so she was loved by somebody in her life. Uh, but this is a hard story. So, 2 Samuel 6, verse 8. So, Uzzah is lying on the ground dead. This is the scene. We're immediately on the heels of, of last week's lesson. Verse 8, And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak or bursting forth against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah, which is like the breach of Uzzah, to this day. And, and there, there's a principle that's at play all throughout this chapter, and it's that confusion and anger result in not following God's plans. When we don't follow God's plans, we will always be confused and we will always be angry. That's the way it works. Because he's set things a certain way for us to be satisfied in him. And when we decide that we want to have satisfaction in any other thing, it will not work. We may get it for a day or a week or a month. Maybe even the course of your natural life. But there will come a day where you will be confused and angry and not following God's plan. So verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? 
And I think this is one of the smartest things that David ever did. So, Zeke, you want to be Uza for me for a second? Sure. So you got to get in the ground. I got to get in the ground. Yeah, Uza's dead. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so he's, he's looking at the dead guy, right? Uza's dead. This is not good. And instead of, well, let's try plan B, he starts to ask questions. And he asks questions, and he asks questions, and he asks questions. First Chronicles 15 is a parallel passage with this text. And First Chronicles 15 depicts David standing in front of a group of Levites. So I need four Levites. Can I get four Levites to stand up? You've got to be guys, sorry. It's, it's, it's an Old Testament thing. All right. Um, I got three. I need four. All right. Yeah, I need y'all over here. <clears throat> See, you're over here. Who's just laying on the ground dead? This is the scene. This is the scene. He's laying on the ground dead. What are you doing? Do you not know what the directions are? Do you see this? Somebody figure this thing out. Who is in charge? Who is going to figure this thing out? You, no, 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 no. Somebody figure this thing out. You're going to figure this thing out. You get your nose in the Old Testament and you figure this thing out. Do you understand? Yes, sir. All right. That's the scene of 1 Chronicles 15. Because David just had a good man die. And he understood the severity of this. Now, do you guys feel some pressure? Yeah. Thank you, Uza. Appreciate that. So, since you all paid attention in last week's Sunday school lesson... I know, too bad. And I didn't post the podcast, so he's really behind. Um... You have to find people to do what? Be the people that carry be the people that prepare the Yeah, so there's got to be some folks that prepare the ark. There's got to be some folks that carry the ark. They have to be from a very specific family. Does anybody remember the name of the family? Kohath, yes. They have to be Levites, but they have to be of the family of Kohath. So the next verse in, cha- in chapter 6, what does it say? Somebody, what does it say? Speak up. Terry, what you got? Um, David was afraid. That he was afraid. What's the next verse? Um, so David would not move the ark. He would not move the ark. That's smart, right? He's going through the thought process, figuring it out. What's next? The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom. Which was kind of intelligent, right? Let's leave it alone. Next. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom. How long was it in the house of Obed-Edom? Three months. So in the three-month period, the Levites go and they figure this thing out. Okay? And what do they do? What's next? Um, So David went and brought up the ark. So David went and brought up the ark? That's what it says, doesn't it? It almost makes it sound like David himself grabbed it. And do you think that's actually what happened? No. David... This is where you kind of got to compare Scripture with Scripture. David did the actions in 1 Chronicles 15, went and reamed out the Levites, told them, literally, you've got to raise the bar. That was awful. <laughs> Just popped into my head. Two bars. Yeah, two bars, right? You've got to go figure this thing out. So what do they do? They go and they figured it out, right? So what's the next verse? Six paces to sacrifice the 
when they had gone six paces. All right, guys. Think about this. Does anybody study Bible say how far away the ark was from Jerusalem at this time? How far? About ten miles. Ten miles. You're going to be at the house of Kohath, okay? So, you be standing like this. You guys should know this. I mean, you went and did the research, right? Okay. Spread out a little bit. There you go. Six paces, guys, toward me. And we kill and we sacrifice for ten miles. You think this would have taken some time? You think this is a completely and totally different approach of showing God respect and awe at his presence? Yeah, this is, this is completely different. This is not, whoops, it's falling, I'll go out and touch this thing. This is, I cannot stand in the presence of God for long without acknowledging that he controls all things, without seeing that he is supremely important. Now, the interesting thing is that when the ark was being carried, there was no command to sacrifice every six paces. There was no command to do that. I mean, think about how long it would have taken to travel in the wilderness if every six steps you have to stop everybody and go, okay, a million people stop and wait while we kill animals. and That's just exceedingly impractical, right? David's mind had switched from the pragmatic, get it physically from one location to another, to the God-awe-inspiring view of we can't even move very far without acknowledging God's power. You see the transition that's taken place in the space of three months? I think this is one of the reasons uh, God called David a man after his own heart. All right, guys, take six steps. You probably want to be going the same direction. Let's go around. Yep. (laughs) And they'd stop and they'd sacrifice. Six steps. They'd stop and they'd sacrifice. Six steps. And they'd stop and they'd sacrifice for 10 miles. Think about that. Now, it seems like it would be a very somber, solemn thing, doesn't it? Let's read the text. You guys just hang out right there, okay? We're going to have a party while you guys are standing. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David, what? Danced. Did you think you'd see the word danced in this text? No. You know why he's dancing? Why do we dance? When we're happy. Not just when we're happy. When we're ridiculously happy, right? I could be happy that, okay, this is wonderful. You know, I didn't run out of gas on the way to work today. Cool. I've misjudged my empty sometimes, so that's a good thing. But I don't jump out of the truck and start dancing over that. Some of you are trying to picture this right now, right? Yeah. Um, he stops. Six steps, guys. Isn't this wonderful? Because we're six steps closer to Jerusalem. We're six steps closer to David's dream of building a house.
for God. We're six steps closer to God's presence being permanent. We're six steps closer to what he's had in his heart for a long time. I don't know if you've ever had a dream. A dream of something so big and so massive that it's almost unfathomable. Because for hundreds and hundreds of years, the ark had wandered wherever the people wandered. And now David had recently captured the city of Jerusalem. And he had decided, this was my home base. This is my base of operations. And I'm going to build God a house here for the Ark of the Covenant. Now, did God let him build that house? No, he didn't, because David was a man of war. And God wanted a man of peace to build his house. So his son Solomon built his house for him. But every six steps, six more, David danced. Because this is six steps closer. Because my... Yeah, Josh needs to pick up the pace, doesn't he? She's, oh, she want, you want him to dance? Oh, yeah, no. I, it doesn't say the Levites. So, so, guys, if you knew what happened to Uzzah, are you going to be dancing while you're carrying the ark? Shoot, absolutely. You're soaking through those robes, right? I mean, that's, you are crazy. He's just like, uh, okay, everybody, you guys are being way more flippant with your steps than I think the, the four that were carrying it, right? Because I, like, are you ready? One, right, yep, right, yeah, no, right, yep, yeah, okay. All right, yep, left, yep, yep, okay. I mean, this was serious stuff. The last dude that did this died. I don't know what, kind, what you do for a living, but the guy that had the job before you probably didn't die doing it. Right? Verse 14. So he didn't just dance. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. Okay? So this is not just, ooh, my little happy dance, here we go. This is everything I've got I'm throwing into this. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And we immediately go, hmm? What is that? Is that enough? Or is that not enough? <laughs> right? Because I'm not familiar with the linen ephod. That's not in my closet. <laughs> right? This was the garment wore, worn by the Levites. All the Levites in this procession, First Chronicles 15 tells us, were wearing a linen ephod. David was saying, I am no different than anybody else. He was setting aside his kingliness and taking up a spiritual posture here. Okay? So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. <clears throat> so, six more steps. Looks like a lot more than six steps, didn't it? Making a big step. Okay. Yeah, maybe that would have been important to have really tall Levites do this, right? That's, I don't know. It's, I didn't think about that, but, you know. Somebody had to pay for that. Somebody had to do the sacrificing. I bet somebody had to sharpen the knives. Yeah, beef is on there. Yeah. So we're now at Jerusalem. The ark is where it needs to be. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Appreciate the Levites doing that. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, how is she described in the text? 
Saul's daughter? Does it say David's wife? No. Pay attention to the way in which people in the Bible are described. Because many times you can describe somebody several different ways, and the way in which they're described is about to foreshadow. It's not about to foreshadow. It's going to foreshadow how they are portrayed and their actions that are coming up. Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window. So was she with them? No. And saw King David leaping and whirling. You like that? You didn't think you were going to learn about this in Sunday school today, did you? He's dancing and leaping and whirling, wearing a linen ephod. And she what? Despised him in her heart. Now, I may be misinterpreting the passage, but it seems to me that everybody in Israel is having a party. Except for Michal. You ever been to one of those? Where everybody's excited except for one person. Now, there's a reason I started this lesson off with the background on Michal's life. Because Saul was not able to recapture the Ark of the Covenant. But David was. Right? And verse 17. So they brought the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his own house. Not only did they have a party, they all got a free meal out of it. That's kind of cool. It's nice to unexpectedly get a free meal, isn't it? You're kind of like, oh, yeah, somebody loves me. Somebody cares about me. This is great. And then verse 20, then David returned to bless his household. He came home to pronounce a blessing over his own family. And Michal, who? Daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So, Sheldon Cooper, <clears throat> this is sarcasm. Um, how do you think David felt right then? Don't read the text. How do you think David felt right then? If, you, if, you, if your spouse told you this on what at this point was the greatest day of your kingship, how would you feel about your spouse at that point? Very angry, right? How else? Probably off guard. Yep. Like, what did you... Did you not... We're having a party, right? Did you not see all this? Dancing. It's good. We had music. We gave out food. It's a good day. How else would you feel? I'd feel hurt. You know? Like, are you not on the same page with me here? Do we not value the same thing? That, that I'm about to be able to set something in place that our people can worship God in one place. And this is going to be awesome. Spurgeon's got a quote. He says, uh, Pirates look out for loaded vessels. I like that. 
on your good days, I mean on your really, really good days, be ready. Because the devil can see the smile on your face too. And he's going to start throwing darts. And they're going to hurt. And they're going to come from places that you would never expect. And there might be more than one of them. Verse 21. So David says to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house. Who's part of his house? Her. To appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this. And will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. David's saying, you're saying that these folks that think they're looking down on me, they're actually looking up at me right now. Because we've just accomplished something great. Verse 23 is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. If you were looking for a happy, feel-good, wonderful story today, it ain't me calls. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Period. Which is to say, make sure we're good here. Yep. Certain things stopped in their relationship. That was it. Now, we don't know exactly how old Michal was here, but she's probably somewhere in her early to mid-30s. That was it. Game over. Now, later in 2 Samuel, it talks about how she brought up five other children from another person's family. But she didn't have any of her own. So, I want to ask a question, and I want to ask it incredibly honestly, without any pride or guile or deceit. Um, What do you think about this story? Because it seems to me like she got a raw deal. And she'd had a raw deal for a long, long time. And folks that have been beat down and hurt and trampled on for a long, long time hurt. What do you think? There you go. You can control your response. What else? In any of the stuff that we talked about, did Mikal ever get to vote on anything? No. There you go. Why? That's right. See, God had already made up his mind about Saul several chapters before that this is going to stop. There's a lot going on in this story. It is an exceedingly complex story with a lot of moving parts and some very, very challenging theology going on here. Right? So the next time somebody comes up to you and they spill their heart and they say that my life is a mess, be very sensitive about a quick answer and an easy answer and dismissing things. Because I don't know anybody that would want to trade places with Mikal. There's a reason she's a Bible character you've probably never heard of. 
because most people have no clue what to do with this text. Most people look at this and they go, what does Samuel 7 say? Yeah. And I like teaching about hard things. Not so I can stand up here and say, oh, look at me how wise I am, because I have no clue what to do with Michal. Michal's hard. Michal's an illustration that life sucks sometimes. And it's going to for a very long time. It is. This experience is not intended to be perfect. This experience is intended to be done with God. Now, if Michal had a robust relationship with God and all of these things happened to her that she didn't get to vote on, she would have had somebody walking with her the whole time. No matter what her husband did, no matter what her husband that she was given to did, no matter what the man who took her back did, she'd have had somebody to walk with the whole time. That, to me, is the lesson of Mikal. lesson of Mikal is, if you want to do this on your own, you're going to be disappointed and angry and upset. And if you want to do this with God, you won't, because you've got a friend. And God was cool enough to design and set things up in the New Testament in a way that we have community. Right? This is really cool. The greatest thing ever, the greatest organization that has ever been created is the church. Because it will never stop. It'll change. When Jesus comes back, the church changes. We don't need to meet on a weekly basis. We get to be around Jesus every day. That's cool. But it'll never stop. These relationships will never end. And I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know how bad it was. I don't know how bad it is. I don't know how bad it's going to be. But we have a choice to do it with God in community with other believers. And that's a better way. Right? So, what's the application? What's the point of Michal's story? Well, there's several of them. Number one, just like last week, context is critical. Guarantee you, you read this chapter and don't understand what 2 Samuel 6, uh, the history of it, and you come off pointing fingers at Michal going, she's evil, she's wicked, she's awful, and we don't understand really what she's been through. Right? So always start with the background. Number two, assuming knowledge of God is dangerous. Uzzah is dead on the ground because they assumed, just pick it up and go. Didn't matter. So constantly review what the directions are. Number three, confusion and anger result in not following God's plan. So you've got to know what his plan is, right? Number four, worship is for the Lord. This is what a lot of people use this story for. If you go and you listen to a sermon on the, the, this Second uh, Samuel 6, it'll be, your worship is for the Lord. Please be free and open in your worship. Don't worry about what criticism about your worship style is. Be open before the Lord. And I think that's a great lesson. But that's not the only thing. Um, number five, God's plan for marriage is best. I sometimes wonder if Michal wasn't doomed from the start. Um, what I didn't talk about was that Saul had two daughters. He had an oldest daughter, and his youngest daughter was Michal. 
When David killed Goliath, Michal actually wasn't what Saul offered first. Saul offered the oldest daughter first. And then he found out that Michal loved David. So in Saul's mind, he said, I want to plant a spy in David's house. So I'm going to give him my daughter that's in love with him because she'll tell me and she'll spend time with him and I'll know what's going on in his house. I don't know if she was doomed from the start, but God's plans for marriage is best because David should never have married again. Okay? That's a hard thing to say. I'm not throwing rocks at anybody, but David should never have married again. Certainly not while he was still married to somebody, right? You may disagree with the first part of the statement. I really hope you don't disagree with the second, okay? So the personalize on the number five is follow God's plan for marriage. One plus one equals one. In marriage it does. You want to know why divorce is so messy and divorce is so hard and it's so ugly? Because you're taking apart something that wasn't designed to be taken apart. That's what it is. That's why it sucks. That's why it's horrible. That's why it's never pleasant. And it will never will be. Number six, bitterness can ruin the best of days. Um, I'm going to go over just a little bit today. I'm going to tell you guys a story. Some of you know this story about me. Some of you don't. Um, my wife, Julie. Love you, Jules. We've been married for 13 years, which is kind of cool. I told her the day we got married that I was signing up for 50 years. <clears throat> and we'd talk at the end of 50 years and see if we wanted to do another 50. <laughs> so far, I'm leaning toward yes. Um, Julie was not the first woman that I put a ring on her finger. Uh, some of you know this and some of you don't. Uh, I was engaged before, and uh, I have a special name for the person that I was engaged to before. Some of you have heard this. Um, it, many of you would not come back to Sunday school if you knew what my name for this person was, so I'll, we'll leave that alone. Um, we were engaged. I met her at Bob Jones University. My assumption was she loved Jesus and everything was good. Um, we dated for several months, got engaged, and then uh, came back from Christmas break, and there was this guy that was there with her. I was like, hey, who's that? And, and it was really a case of uh, which one uh, is not the same, which one is not like the others. Um, Bob Jones University, everybody looked like everybody else, right? Uh, skinny white people with short haircuts that's what the guys were um, girls in dresses that all kind of looked exactly cookie cutter I mean it was just we cranked people out and that's what it did and I learned a lot there and I don't want to throw rocks at the university uh, but the guy that was with her uh, had a distinctively Middle Eastern look um, and wore a robe and it was pretty obvious that he was not into Jesus that he was into Allah and what I found out was that she had been cheating on me with him for several months, uh, and I got to find out in front of all my friends in college. And I was bitter and angry and mad for a long, long time. 
until one day I was teaching a Sunday school class and I gave this story and Ellen Dodrell of all people on God's green earth spoke up and said Jim what would you learn from that some of you may remember this Sunday school class I don't know and uh, I said uh, I was just kind of hanging up and she said did you ever consider that God was using that in her life to teach her something and not necessarily you no because <laughs> I want to be angry and I want to be bitter um, and Bill Dodrell came up to me after that class and said I think we've got some confessing that we need to do so let's do that now and I confessed a whole lot of bitterness and a whole lot of anger and have had to continually confess a whole lot of bitterness and a whole lot of anger because it pops its head back up all the time so I'm telling you as your Sunday school teacher standing in front of you and God that this is hard to do. And that was just a relationship of a few months and we were never married. I cannot imagine if we'd have been attached for years and years how hard this would be. I cannot imagine. So I'm not throwing rocks, but we're going to stand beside you and do life together. No matter how ugly it gets, no matter how hard it gets. And you got to keep confessing the bitterness. So that's the blank on number six. Number seven... Hateful sarcasm never helps. We live in a culture where sarcasm is funny and it's awesome and it's cute and it's kind of good. And, and every one of us that's married knows where that line is with our spouse. And if you don't know exactly where it is, you'll find out soon. Don't worry. Um, and I like, you guys know me. I like to kid around. I like to joke. I like to have a good time. But there are things that I will never say to that woman. Just not going to say it. We're not going there because that's just not okay. So Proverbs 18, 21. If you want to write this verse down, I don't know if I put it in your notes. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Michal found that out. The strange thing is that David's son wrote those words. And he may have been thinking about Michal when he did it. I bet he knew the story. And she didn't hold her tongue. And she should have. But it's awful hard to do sometimes. So death and life are in the power of the tongue. So what am I supposed to do? Hold my tongue. Bite it if you have to. Life's not easy, guys. It's not going to be. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. God wants to walk the path with you. And he's set up a community to do it with you as well. No easy answers today. Okay. So, that's the story of Michal. Next week is Malchus. I feel like we're on the M's right now. Um, Malchus was the poor dude that was just in the wrong place at the wrong time in the garden when they went to arrest Jesus and somebody took out his sword and whacked off the poor dude's ear. And then he got to beat Jesus. And everything changed. So, Next week is Malchus. There's actually four different chapters to read for Malchus. Um, he was a pretty neat dude. So, thank you for coming this morning. I know this was exceedingly difficult for some of you to hear. I appreciate your patience as we work through this. Lean in at your tables. Let's do the prayer requests. Pray as a group. And then uh, let's go worship the Lord.